evening, everyone. Um, I've changed the title, so we're just keeping it simple. It's all about the sovereignty of God this evening. So um, let's pray. Jesus, you are our Lord and King. Would you reveal yourself as such among us this evening in Jesus' name? Amen. Some of you might remember this. The coronation ceremony, 2nd of June, 1953. The Archbishop speaks to the Queen. Madam, is your Majesty willing to take up an oath? I noticed one or two of you sort of puzzling whether you were alive then or not. And the Queen says, I am willing. The Archbishop Will you solemnly promise to swear to govern the peoples, I make a good Archbishop, of the United Kingdom and of Great Britain, Northern Ireland? Notice the few names here, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Union of South Africa, Pakistan, Ceylon, and all of your uh, possessions and the other territories to any of them belonging or pertaining according to their respective laws and customs. What did the Queen say? I solemnly promise to do so. A few more questions. Will you, uh, will you, to your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be exalted in all your judgments? The Queen, I will. Archbishop, will you do your uttermost to maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? And so on and so on. All this I promise to do. And there's a section where she does the oath. I think she kisses the book, which is the Bible. And she says a few more words. Now, whatever we think about the links between the Church of England and the king or queen of this nation, I think it's remarkable that anyone would conceive that somehow church and state could work together. I think for a short moment under the rule of King David, that has been true, but it's been a struggle throughout history and many nations have done their utmost to try and uh, make it um, the opposite. When our Queen exercises her authority, such as it is, I believe for her it's under the authority of Almighty God. The questions lurking behind the Bible text for tonight from Acts 12 might include who is in charge, who has authority, who is sovereign, who really wears the crown and carries the scepter. Or with reference to Revelation 19 verse 16, my refrain for tonight, who is the king of kings? and Lord of Lords. Have any of you, um, there's plenty of them, watched a series on the television that might have had something to do with a king or queen in recent times? I know there's um, been quite a few people uh, raving about Game of Thrones. You've probably already done the confession, I'm not going to call you out now, but uh, you might be bereft without watching it, I don't know. Um, I've not got round to watching it, 
yet, would take too much time, but I've heard uh, a bit and I'm building a picture. I gather it's not suitable for minors or those of a more delicate constitution. And although I haven't watched it, I understand from reading a summary and chatting to people that Game of Thrones deals with themes that are important to us, of good, evil, loyalty, betrayal, power, warfare, family and duty. The characters apparently are often forced to choose between two opposing forces like lust for power and their moral principles, or a sense of duty to their kingdom and the need to protect those that they love. Now for those of us of a delicate imposition, maybe on Sunday night TV viewing after the evening service has been a little bit tame. Um, I um, would like you to just watch with me a clip. I don't know if any of you are into this or not, and we're not going to judge you if you are or you aren't, but a clip um, which is of the crown. Wrap her up like this, and hey presto, what do you have? A goddess. And one of the Americans who were watching from afar, watching it on television with the, the guy that abdicated from the throne, said to him, and, do you think, and to think you turned all that down, the chance to be a god. In Acts 12, the lines are blurred between kingship and courting praise and recognition that's reserved solely to quote Revelation 19.16, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Acts 12, verses 1 and 2, King Herod is trying to exercise his authority, playing to the audience. He kills off one of the apostles, James, the brother of John. The Herodian dynasty lasted for quite a while, but it... Um, But their empires, like so many human empires, rise and fall. The Herodian kings were puppets of the Roman Empire and supposed to keep order in the outlying regions. I've always um, found it very confusing um, because there's quite a few Herods. I'm sure you've all got it taped, like which Herod we're referring to here. Um, Well, this is sort of for my benefit but I hope it's going to help you. But I want to give a brief pen profile of three of the Herods in the Herod dynasty. So here we go. Um, Number one, Herod the Great. Um, He's the first Herod mentioned in the New Testament. He was respected as a master builder. He reconstructed the temple in Jerusalem and built many other impressive buildings. If uh, any of you have been to Israel, have anyone been to Israel here? Uh, you need to, you can't fail to be impressed. You go to Jerusalem, you see some of the Herodian stones. They're absolutely massive. You'll find at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. But he's far from great in most other respects and seems to me to be a thoroughly evil man. 
According to the biblical account in Matthew's Gospel, it's this Herod the Great that out of fear and jealousy had the boy babies killed around the time of Jesus' birth. And although the massacre of the innocents is not recorded by other historians, this event is certainly true to his evil character. Historians verify that he even had his own family killed to protect the throne. He also plundered the wealth of some of the Jewish leaders. I think it's a timely reminder for society today that leaders of state and issues of power, jealousy, pride, insecurity, uncontrolled ambition can be a poisonous, potent and terrifying mix. Herod the Great died approximately 3 BC, just after Jesus' birth, and the kingdom was split into four and given to his sons. They were named Tetrarchs, and that literally means, I think, they ruled a quarter of the kingdom. Herod's life suggests that he most certainly did not revere Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Second up, Herod Antipas. He's the son of Herod the Great. He had, um, to his sort of list of achievements, he had John the Baptist's head taken clean off, uh, as a re- uh, I think as a result of a reckless pledge, seeing the daughter of his wife, his wife who had been married to his brother, she'd done a dance, and that was the prize the head of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, um, his um, evil, I suppose you were lying, not evil, but the thing he did, the heinous sin was to point out that he probably shouldn't have taken his brother's wife as his wife. This um, King Herod, Antipas, would have heard a lot about Jesus. And he wondered at first if he was John the Baptist come back to life, Matthew 14, 2. Jesus was sent to Herod Antipas for an illegal trial, Luke 23. He finds nothing to charge Jesus with. Herod Antipas and others' leaders didn't know what to do, and Jesus gets passed from pillar to post and eventually is crucified. There's no hint that Herod Antipas recognizes Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Acts 12, we find our third Herod, there's others, Herod Agrippa. There's two Herod Agrippas, just to make things simple. This is the first of the two. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, His son, Herod Agrippa II, the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, We don't know much about him, but he seems to be ruthless like all the other Herods. Uh, Herod Agrippa, number one, played to the crowd, caught in popularity and wanted to please the Jews. After killing James, when he saw that this met with the approval amongst the Jews, Acts 12.3, he proceeded to seize Peter also and has the apostle Peter thrown into prison. What opinions and approval ratings are our leaders looking at at the moment? Who are they listening to? The issues that seem to get 
a lot of attention. Um, it's a little bit quieter at the moment, but you mentioned the Brexit word and people are paying attention. Fox hunting, building border walls, being tough on immigration, lowering taxes to the rich, and our response to climate change. And you might have more and more and more um, that sway public opinion. And if you hit the right soundbite, you might get a vote or two. We know from Acts 12 that Agrippa, unlike Queen Elizabeth II, did not submit to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you read on a little bit in Acts 12, verses 21 to 23, if you've got it in front of you, we read that Herod, um, dressed in his finery, addressed the people and drew their adulation. The people said, this is the voice of God and not a man. Because he didn't correct them, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Not very nice, is it? I think he had it coming. (laughs) I think it's important to note, verse 12, the word of God continued to increase and spread. And my refrain from a couple of weeks ago, come what may. Just before Herod's death, we hear in verse 5 that he kept Peter in prison. Uh, But the early church appeal in fervent prayer to Jesus, their highest authority, their King of Kings and Lord of Lords, for Peter's release. We're assured to know that Jesus is the great high priest and now resides, and we're reminded in Hebrews 7, always lives to intercede for us in heaven. Herod and others can try to silence the messengers But the message of the good news of Jesus Christ was alive and at work. Nothing in all creation will be able to constrain it from achieving its purposes. The apostles were speaking truth to power and gaining a following. Power doesn't always like truth. As we know only too well from the headlines this week, The UK ambassador to Washington, Sir Kin Darrock, had to resign for uh, the leak of his secret but honest appraisal of the state of the Trump White House. Given the power of the US presidency, it's interesting to note who had the courage to stand with the ambassador. In the courts of American power, where approval ratings are king, If people are off message, you get rid of the messengers. Herod plays to the crowd, and with their approval, chapter 12 of Acts, verse 3, has James killed? We're fortunate, I suppose, that a a resignation, sad as it is, will suffice in US-UK diplomacy. The main section of this passage recounts Peter's imprisonment and miraculous release as a result of an angelic visitation. Angels have a variety of important roles in the Bible. You probably probably know better than I. Um, I need to stress that they're created beings 
and they're not to be worshipped. Some people within our society misunderstand that. They're the lead worshippers at God's throne of grace. They can guard us. They can fight for us. They can free us. We can inadvertently entertain or offer hospitality to an angel. They're God's messengers. They can challenge and reassure us. The Bible records a number of occasions of them visiting people and saying, Fear not. Don't be afraid. What sort of angelic visitation would you welcome? In Acts 12, 6 to 8, the night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, he was in chains when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. He woke him up, his chains fell off, he was free, and when free, the angel left him. Verse 11, Peter attributes his rescue from the bloodthirsty clutches of Herod to the Lord. This praying church could not quite believe that their prayers had been answered. Verse 16, they were astonished when they saw Peter. We've heard that it was not such good news for Herod Agrippa when he had an angelic visitation. With Peter's rescue and Herod's death, we're encouraged to know, Acts 12, 24, that the word of the Lord continues to increase and spread. To us, the word of the Lord sometimes feels slow to spread and sometimes slow to have the impact we desire. But God is sovereign and his word will accomplish all its purposes. From your experience, what ways of spreading the word has had most impact? I'm going to give you just a few moments to reflect on this. But from your experience, what ways of you spreading the word or seeing the word spread has had most impact? Because if it hasn't, maybe we need to try something else, I don't know. Or if it has, maybe uh, like discovering, for me, I only understand things in terms of a tennis shot and I've hit it well one time. Well, that gives me a little bit of a clue about to do, how to do that again. But for you in sharing the gospel, the good news... What has had impact? I don't know whether you'd even want to share it with someone next to you. You don't have to. Many would say that, um, and this is, this is true and it works, just sharing your own story, your own testimony. I think it's just one of the most impactful ways that we demonstrate that Jesus is alive. No one can take that away from us. Sometimes bringing someone to a talk, I was brought to a talk um, that had a little bit of an impact that I wasn't prepared to respond to at the time, but the word of the Lord is living and active and does his work. Sometimes just hearing a testimony, it, doesn't, it just can transform our lives. Maybe it's the loving care or sacrificial service that speaks louder than words and may prompt the question, why do you do this? What's behind this? 
I've found that um, funerals are often the most fruitful places to lovingly share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially at a Christian funeral. Now, it's going to be a bit of a struggle for you all to get ordained or a special license to do this, so it's all very well for me saying that. Just a little clue, you're going to have to find other ways of being effective at spreading the gospel because not everyone gets to take funerals. But at funerals, and you can share these scriptures in any context, we share many scriptural truths. Ultimately, we remind people and proclaim that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that death couldn't hold him, nor us who believe in him, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We often proclaim that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor anything in all creation. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I return to my refrain from Revelation 19. And the angelic host who with continual alleluias remind all creation of our ultimate authority. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This week, it was an honour for me to take the funeral of Ken Huddart. He was a very gifted man. I shared as part of my talk, I had a couple of talks to do, the lengths he went to come to church. Who knows Ken here? A few of you. Some of you, any of you do the walk of witness this last year? Ken was struggling to walk, but like a few other people, joined in on the Good Friday walk of witness. And he joined the procession just as we approached uh, the gateway into the church. When we came into church... Richard had arranged it. They were all given a stick. It was slightly larger than a pencil, I think. And from memory, it was a reminder to all of us, like the stick, we were cut off from God, but for his grace. And the invitation of the service was to be reconnected through the cross to Jesus, who for the purpose of this evening, I'm going to refer to as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Ken was sitting in the congregation. It was quite a struggle for him to get out of his seat, never mind get forward, but I remember him vividly coming up these steps and along with everyone else in church, uh, offering himself, I think his whole life, with his energy, such as it was, to serve God. Ken wasn't um, too upfront about his faith. Rather than saying lots and lots of things, he lived his life as a servant to the local community. But the striking thing about him is right up until his death, he struggled to church. I think that's quite a challenge to many of us who've got so many other options, as he did. He didn't wallow in pity in his struggle and his limitations. At his funeral, the many beautiful things happened. But one of the striking things, and I've got a different version of it this evening. Yes, there were things to give thanks for in his life. But at the end 
at the service, this was played, or a variation of it, the Alleluia Chorus. You might have your own way of expressing your Alleluia's and the truths of Revelation 19, but it puts all earthly powers and authorities in the right perspective. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing in all creation that will stop his gospel spreading. There's nothing in all creation that will stop Jesus achieving his purposes. There's no chain that can constrain his messengers. You can jail or kill them, but he will either free them or send another gospel messenger. Tonight, we submit to Jesus, his kingship, and his lordship, we seek his power and inspiration from on high so that we can be obedient to everything he calls us to be, to do, and to say. Amen.